0: I think thinking about suicide doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. I want to be able to tell somebody that I've been thinking about suicide without it scaring them, without them going, oh, let's call the crazy police again. No, I I have these thoughts all the time and I want to share it with someone so it doesn't feel as big. I think if it was easier to do that, socially acceptable, to go, hey, I've been thinking this way. I don't know, would it save some lives maybe?
1: change the narrative, reimagine the narrative. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted and check the show notes. There are additional ways you can reach out. Learn more ways about how to support or sponsor us our programs and presentations, our very soon-to-be-launched membership, among other things. And I should tell you, we've got a couple of other ways we may want to expand this community and have more conversations, honest conversations. And I'll let you know all about that. For right now, we're considering uh, Telegram and Signal. So if you're familiar with those on your phone, those might be two places in which you see a little more of us. Remember, It's all about feeling a little less shitty and a little less alone. Now, do bear in mind we're talking about suicide on this podcast, as the title suggests. It may not be a good fit for everyone, so please take that into account before or as you listen. I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Jodi. Jodi lives in England, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hello, Jody. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay.
1: It's a reasonable question, right? Even though we're talking a little bit about suicide stuff. How you doing?
0: I'm doing today. I'm doing okay. And actually, for the last few weeks, I've been doing okay.
1: Good. You're, where are you exactly? I mean, not in, like your address, but like what's the? <laughs>
0: um, I am in Midlands in the UK.
1: Okay, Midlands in the UK. What foot do you do? You support a football team?
0: I don't, but my husband is from Newcastle. So my husband and my son both support Newcastle United.
1: I want to thank you for talking with me.
0: No, like thank you for getting back to my email. And I came across the podcast and I was like, actually, I really would like to reach out. And I wasn't sure if you responded to all emails. And so the fact like you emailed back, I was like, oh, okay, so this is happening.
1: Right now I do respond to all of them as best I can and yeah usually in almost all cases with a few exceptions anyone who wants to be on as long as they feel like they're a good fit right like suicide type thing yeah we are talking about that so
0: that's gonna sit here and talk about dogs all leaving
1: <laughs> I mean jody has got a really nice dog on her lap actually oh. nobody can see us so they can only hear us so he's cute what's his name say hello um, Yeah. So anyway, yes. Thank you for reaching out and I'm glad we connected. I'm glad we're here. One must ask the question. There are so many questions I have, but one of them is why did you reach out?
0: I found it really beneficial to hear other people talking about their own experiences. So I found your podcast off of the back of another podcast that was talking about like near-death experiences or having lost, having lost loved ones. And in one of the episodes, they were talking about um, having lost a loved one through suicide. And it was like their take on it and how they felt and the impact on them. And I was like, well, what about the impact on, well, the person who didn't survive, but all those people that do survive, like myself. So I did a quick Google search and I found your podcast. And listening to other people and hearing about the impact it had on them like the the after bits that no one really talks about. Mm. It just felt so reassuring to hear other people's experiences. Lots of people know about my suicide attempts and no one ever talks about it, ever.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: I don't know. The stigma around it and maybe not knowing how to approach the subject or not Mm. knowing what to say. Maybe the hurt that it caused other people as well. I think that's a big factor is, you know that would have really affected a lot of people, and maybe they just don't want to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's probably other things people prefer to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's it's quite a a heavy subject. Um, you wouldn't sit around the Christmas dinner table talking about suicide.
1: Sure. I do, but most don't. I, <laughs> I wish we did,
0: yeah. But
1: we would rather talk about football or dogs or other things. I get that. But what you were saying, isn't that you necessarily or others may necessarily want to talk about it around the holiday table. Nobody's talking about it. Like it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other.
0: Yeah, it oh, just yeah. doesn't doesn't get mentioned. And if I bring it up ever, it's either not responded to but the topic just changes very swiftly mm-hmm. or it's very quick. Mm-hmm, like yeah, acknowledgement that's... that I've mentioned something and yeah. no like return conversation.
1: Let's role play for a moment. Okay. I'm you and you're somebody else. And we're at a cafe, but it's quiet. Nobody's around. And I see now things have been a little bit hard lately. And I've been thinking about, well, do I sound like you? I probably don't sound like you. You do. <laughs> but things have been really hard, dark, you know, and I'm having some hard thoughts. What would they say? Now, what do you want them to say? What do they say? What do they do?
0: You're really strong. You've been here lots of times. You've got through it before.
1: Yeah, but I didn't actually. I tried to take my life.
0: Yeah, you got through it. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can um, I get a tea? Can we get some green tea? Get some black tea, please.
0: That's really funny. My best friend drinks green tea. <laughs> that's a very real conversation.
1: Mm, all right. So you have one attempt in your life or is there more than one?
0: I've had many attempts. My first attempt was when I was about 12 or 13. Yeah. It was a tricky, was a, I wouldn't really call it a massive attempt, but it was an attempt. I took an overdose mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was going to be, a, it wasn't, it was quite a small overdose. Um, I was a bit sick for a couple of days, like vomiting, and then I was fine. I like, oh, okay. That was like my first attempt.
1: And you, you said something real quick here. You said, I thought it was going to be done. I I don't know your exact words. So did you think you were going to die?
0: Yeah. Like in my mind, I thought if I took those tablets, then I was going to die.
1: Do you, so you're 12 or 13, pretty young. Do you remember anything about that day or even the moments? Because I'm always wondering, and everybody's different, of course, for you, is it, are you Looking forward to taking them because you're ready to check out. Are you scared? I imagine it's rather conflicted. Are you thinking about certain
0: It was quite mixed? So I was at school. I was I was at school when I took the overdose. I thought something really dramatic would happen. Um and I would I would die. But I remember taking them and going, oh, I've taken them out. Like, I remember that moment of going, what happens when to are going back now? About an hour or so later, I felt quite nauseated. Yeah, that was it. That's all that happened next 24 hours I was just like oh so I did it wrong
1: and what's it like for you at 12 or 13 to have those thoughts and act on them and then I'm still here I'm still here everything is just about the same I'm a little nauseous
0: you know so it's so so strange so now we have really easy internet searches and connections and there's so much research you can do online it's horrendous but like when I was 12 13 we didn't have that Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I couldn't do like a quick Google search to be like, how much power is it does it take to kill somebody?
1: Now, you look rather young. I mean, I'm trying to do the math here. I feel like Google was around when you were 12.
0: Uh, it was around. We didn't have a home PC. Um, so I'm 34. My birthday next week, be 35. Um, so, yeah, like home computers isn't something people had. We I mean, were still at the stage of, I don't know what it was like, um, in America, but in England at least, we had like dialogue. Like if you was on the landline, you couldn't get internet.
1: <laughs> the, the practical application was limited at best.
0: Yeah. So yeah. And then I turned to I was already self-harmed by that point, but I started self-harming more after a suicide attempt that wasn't anything really. Um
1: well did anybody find out?
0: Uh no one found out for a few years. Um and then I spent some time homeless when I was 15, 16.
1: Hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa! So we went from you attempted, and I didn't ask you a lot of details around like what led up to it, but we probably will get to that, or some causes as best one can figure that out. And then, are you are you living in a precarious home life that led you to be homeless? What's happening there?
0: Our relationship with my mum and my stepdad just completely broke. Like me, mum and my stepdad just completely just broke down. Yeah, we never had a good relationship. Right from being small, there was no abuse there. It was just. Not well, there was no like physical or sexual abuse or anything like that. It was just not a very happy home, and I'd had these struggles for quite a few years before my overdose and obviously the self harming, and never really got any help or support. And so, yeah, by 15, I started running away from home before my 16th birthday. I was living in like hostels, homeless shelters, mm. and then like the, the self harm, drugs, and alcohol, and everything really crept in quite rapidly. It was a period of about two years where it was like overdose after overdose after overdose.
1: What what, what kind of drugs were you doing?
0: Cocaine and ketamine, cannabis and LSD and pills and more vodka than you can bottle.
1: You were all in, as we say, you were committed uh, to that lifestyle for a little while.
0: I went, this is what I want to do. and And I did it.
1: And you're still relatively young.
0: Yeah, I'm very young. And I, was-
1: and I would imagine, and I don't, I haven't lived that way and don't know much about the Midlands in the UK. Uh, I would imagine that's a really dangerous lifestyle as well, no?
0: Yeah. So I was in with the wrong crowd, definitely, um, older men.
1: So it's amazing of- how it almost always works out that way, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. It's amazing how they find these young mm-hmm. girls. Yeah. they would. Climbing with all the drugs and alcohol that I wanted.
1: With an expectation, but we don't need to go there. I imagine. With an
0: expectation, yeah. Sure. Um, well,
1: I mean, you might be 15 or 16, but you ain't dumb. That's for sure. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. Knew what was going to happen. You give me all this stuff and I'll give you all this stuff. <laughs> so yeah, that went on for a couple of years.
1: When you said, uh, uh, Jodie, when you said you, you wanted that lifestyle, and I'm paraphrasing, did you?
0: Oh, God, no. Oh, looking back, no, of course I didn't. You know, I couldn't change what had happened before that period of time I couldn't change like the first 15 years and that was just the natural next step like there wasn't there wasn't another option for me
1: yeah Um, what are you going to do where are you going to go
0: I was where I was and I had a roof over my head like the hostels and the shelters they took me in it could have been a lot worse and I Mm. I kept myself alive Um, yeah
1: yeah you did now when you say you you were sort of regularly Overdosing. Mm. Do you consider them to be a suicide attempt, either then or upon reflection, or no?
0: Um, some of them definitely yes. Um, some of them were more like self-harm. So I did it to get to AE, I did it to get to the doctors um or to the mental health team. I didn't I didn't care if I lived or died, but I wanted to be found and saved. You know, if I died, that was just oh mm. well there wasn't that fear of dying there that there was always the I, I need to go to the hospital I, I need to be seen i need to speak to somebody that was always yeah. something that was part of the overdose plan
1: oh okay okay it so very- it just as some people might just think you know she was just
0: partying not just just, how you, just reaching out
1: this was a call you wanted help and there's also yeah. the, the addiction component where it's not just, hey, I want to be high and party. I imagine you're addicted to something. Yeah. And so you um, kind of need it to not feel awful.
0: Yeah. And it got got me through the, the days and the weeks and the months. You know, like now I get up and I go to work. Like then I got up to take the drugs. Like that was, that's all it was. Yeah.
1: So many people and probably in some kind of similar situation, that you were in all over the world, we're not talking right now because they ain't around. Yeah, I know. A lot, right? Don't you think or no? After
0: one overdose, um, I was 18, uh-huh. 10, 18, and I was in A and the doctors came around and was like, hey, you're pregnant. I was like, oh, oh right, okay. <laughs> I better stop doing the drugs then. I did, stopped, and it saved for a deposit on a flat um to rent. And I had a child, beautiful little girl. And I was clean all the way through my pregnancy, with the exception of a little bit of weed. Because that kept me going. Yeah, we did it. And I got clean. And I was like, right, OK, let's stop the self-harm. And I'll stop the drugs. And I'll stop the drink. And we'll get a flat. And I, I did. I did to do that. Things were OK for like two years. And then I'd met my husband by that point. And I fell pregnant again with my son. That's when it all sort of like fell apart again. But After I had him, I had postnatal psychosis, which is quite common, um, especially for those that have already had previous mental health difficulty. Mm-hmm. So he was he was born, and we were okay for a week or two. But then I started hearing voices mm. and having like visual hallucinations, mm-hmm. and it just went to shit. Like it really just fell apart as quickly as I got it together. When I found out that I think my daughter, it fell apart when I had my son. All
1: right. So let me just back up for a moment and then we'll move forward. So yeah. you, your first attempt overdose, 12, 13 years old. Yeah. A couple of years later, you leave home, quasi homeless, doing a lot of drugs have several overdoses in that time between the first attempt and let's say when you had your first child, were there other attempts, not overdoses, but other sort of, I, I don't know if there's a real difference between that and, but I think you know what I mean, where you said, I am going to end my life today.
0: There were two that like really stick out, both were intentional overdoses. And one of those, I slashed my arms I don't know what hostels are like in other areas of the world, but in the UK, they're staffed. So there's always, like, members of staff that are in the hostel 24-7. I took a big overdose and my roommate tried to get in the door and I locked it from the inside. So she went off to get somebody and I slashed my arm Mm -hmm. so horrifically, blood everywhere. Just ceiling, floor, walls, bed, like just mm. everywhere. It didn't hurt. It didn't, I didn't get that old shit feeling that I'd had previously when I'd cut and gone a bit too far, perhaps. I was just like, okay, so here we go. And the staff opened the door from the outside and they went, you're going to have to clean all this up. And they shut the door again. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I should probably actually get some help. So I opened the door again and I was like, well, this, like I probably need stitches or something my roommate opened the door was like this isn't good I spent a couple of days in the hospital because I had quite quite a lot of blood loss so yeah that was one of them the other one was an overdose that I thought was going to do me in I was sure it was um I was found covered in my own urine vomit all over my hair and over my clothes and some guys that lived down the road had like picked me up and carried me I don't even remember where to go I think it was a shop or something called for an ambulance and I'd yawning to done him as well when it carried me in i didn't know about this until afterwards after i'd been discharged from hospital i spent three or four days on the high dependency unit um just being pumped full of god knows what and then i was seen by the mental health team but it was a different mental health team to what i see now it was specifically like homeless mental health team really, um, which i think really bias what help and support I got because they were basically like yeah off she goes back into the community in contrast to what I've experienced as a homeowner is crazy you know to think that at that period of time they went yep yeah, she's fine send her back to the hostel and the experiences that I've had in my current setup where they've gone she needs sectioning sent to hospital it was definitely yeah it was definitely a bias there of getting she doesn't need the help
1: Oh, oh, I mean, that that, well. that 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 there's bias against poor people? Hmm.
0: Yeah. What, what a shock.
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> I would never have guessed.
1: Dropping truth bombs here on the Suicide Noted podcast. Attention all listeners. If you're poor, your life's going to be really fucking hard, probably. Sorry.
0: <laughs> when you get some money in the bank, someone will come and help
1: you. Isn't that weird how that works out?
0: Crazy, isn't it?
1: So you have your child, obviously you survived those, duh, you have your child, you get things are better, you meet your now husband, you have a second child, and shortly after that things go haywire.
0: Yeah, it just goes to absolute crap. So I had postpartum psychosis, started hearing things and seeing things, and I left the baby at home and ran away.
1: Wait, so I've... you left him, you left, your, it was a boy?
0: Yeah, I left him Enough. on his own.
1: With husband or no?
0: No, on his own. Ooh, people, um,
1: are gonna, people are going to be upset with you.
0: I know, I know. Husband was about 10 minutes away. So he'd already said, I'm, I'm leaving work. Um, I'll be home in town. I was like, I'm done.
1: I, you had to get, was it just something you had to escape?
0: Yeah, just I just need to go. Baby be fine. Baby sleeping. Husband's on his way home. I'm done. I need to not be here. So I left. I started running, probably for about 20, 25 minutes. And then I was like, I don't know where I'm running to. And so I went down the canal and followed that path round until it got to like a meadows. I had my phone on me and I was like, I'm going to turn this off. So I, t- I turned my phone off. So I was uncontactable because at this point, my husband had called me a few times. And I didn't answer. And I just decided that I didn't want anyone to find me. And I didn't have a plan to go and take my life. I didn't know what I was doing just I needed to be away just just gone mm-hmm. um I mean, it started to get dark I started to get cold and obviously I hadn't taken like a jumper or a coat or anything with me I was then starting to panic about people trying to find me I just I stayed out all night um in the meadows and I just every time I heard a police car go by I was like they're looking for me and I'm going to be in trouble I'm going to get arrested and these horrible things are going to happen to the children and I'm never going to get them back again. And it was about four o'clock in the morning when I finally convinced myself that I could go back home. I needed to be back home. I needed to let them know that I was okay because I didn't, didn't want to kill myself. So they were my two options. I was like, I've, I've let it go so far that I need to either go back and face the shit show that I've created. Or, I needed to kill myself like I had no means I, I I could have walked for another eight hours and found a bridge to jump offshore, but you know like, I didn't have anything. It was convenient. Don't think I was in that frame of mind anyway that that was my next step, so I was okay i need, I need to just go home mm-hmm. um, walked back home, and there was like three police cars outside my house. Mm. I was like oh, oh, this is really. Tricky. I can't mm-hmm. kind of walk through that door and be like, surprise, mm-hmm. <laughs> hello. But I did. And my husband was very cross with me. His immediate reaction was, how dare you? After that, we sort of had weeks and probably months of just suicide ideation. So there was. Lots of thoughts and lots of plans that never went anywhere, but like it it just consumed me. I became terrified of leaving the house.
1: You were living together. That's what Carol wrote. You was, were living together.
0: Yes, it was before, before yeah. the day, but we were engaged, we had a child.
1: I assume, tell me if I'm wrong, he knows a little bit about your past yeah. at this yeah. point. But how was he responding to this sort of whoa?
0: The first night was very much like, whoa, like, what is this? And what do we do? These are great. But you know, they left like 45 minutes after I got home. They just went, Right, okay, you're home. Good job. Off we go. And my husband was very much like, What do we do? <laughs> what's what's this mess? Yeah, but he was he was great. After that first night where he was just like, We're way out of depth. Yeah, he was so supportive, especially around the whole not being able to leave the house situation. We've got this like an hour at a time, whatever you need. Like, we'll, if you want to try walking to the shop, I'll walk with you. If we get to the door and you change your mind, very well.
1: All right. I like sometimes
0: this guy. we would get in the car. Um, we've always had dogs. We'd get in the car and we would drive like an hour to this beautiful walking place that we used to always take the dog. And sometimes we'd get there and I'd be like, we're going to, have to drive back home. And we would just drive back home.
1: Mm, that's what a good partner does right
0: yeah he 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 was great with it he was so amazing finally I got a referral to a psychiatrist they diagnosed me with bipolar stuck in a bunch of meds and things improved for about two years
1: <laughs> and at this point you're still in your early 20s yeah yeah
0: so okay this would have been sort of 22 and yeah and we got married and bought a house And it went to shit again.
1: So it's cycling. Is it cycling? Yeah.
0: So we sort of did like the 15, 16, 17. Or if we go back further, actually, we've got like 12. And then 15 to sort of like 18. We've got 22. And then if we think for another three years, 25, I had a complete psychotic break probably the most traumatic mental health scenario that I've ever had in my life. And still now find it really difficult to even comprehend what happened. 10 years Um, ago. Oh yeah, it was (laughs) 10 years ago. Um, Leave
1: leave the math to me, Judy.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that particular psychotic, you call it a psychotic break. Yeah. Yeah. Did you try again? Yeah. (laughs) So you said when we first started talking, there've been many attempts. Does this kind of continue to happen on and off until we're talking today?
0: Yeah. yeah. When was the last one? March
1: of 2022. Yeah. And do you still think about it and ideate a lot?
0: I have so many thoughts, so many. Like they just won't go. I've had this conversation with my husband before. He's like, that's not something I've ever experienced. You know, you drive past a bridge and you go, jump off that. You know, like if you see like a bagel in the shop and you go, that looks delicious, that's a normal thing. But to see something that could take your life and go, jump off that or into that or hang myself with that, you know, it's just constant, always.
1: Yeah. Do you think you were born that way? Like no matter what your life actually turned out to be, you'd be this way? I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, there's no rewiring it. I've done so much therapy. My job is, um, like well-being and self-care, like it's all I do all day, 24-7. It's well-being and self-care. I teach others. I'm an emotional first aid coach. It's its really? all I do. I have, I have all the tools. Mm. I know it inside out, back to front, and it's still just hardwired into me as a way of thinking. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. See, I could talk about this at the holiday table.
0: Yeah, I, I could. Most of my job is like mental health and well-being. Yeah. How you're feeling and grounding techniques and all the airy fair and stuff. I could
1: do it all day. As somebody in that field and somebody who's gone through what you've gone through, have you ever heard, so I, I don't know how many podcast episodes you've listened to, but you ever find yourself saying, why would he ask that? Or I would have asked this, playing role reversal, because you do spend time dealing with people who are in maybe some kind of serious pain, yeah. like I do, but I'm just not really qualified. I'm just a guy.
0: I'm I'm just a human yeah i know but
1: you have some specific training and a lot of experience
0: you know you spoke to hundreds of people and have your own experiences and it's just life like no amount of training can teach that right no no amount of training can teach how you react and how you talk and you Mm. know not shying away from Mm. your feeling or what you've heard or censoring words. That's
1: a good point. I don't know if you can, maybe you can cultivate those things a little bit, but you might be right. I, you might be right. Some people have it and maybe some people just don't. And by the way, when I say some, I mean a lot. Okay. <laughs> so how many people in your life know everything you just shared with me?
0: Well, like 10 years ago, um, when I had like a psychotic break, that was very public. I went to the train station and I was hearing voices and I'd had this belief going on for a while that the government were trying to kidnap me so that they could harvest all this evil that was inside me and they were going to essentially like take over the world with it. <laughs> That's the level of like psychotic break we're talking here. Like it was completely yeah. over a, a few months like that kind of
1: That long, wow, yeah,
0: just like built and built and built and built. In the end, I was like, I have to just kill myself. Not that I want to die, not this like deep depression that I previously had. Like, I want to die, I want to kill myself. It was like, I have to, I I have to do this to protect everybody else.
1: So, so when people talk about it being selfish, boy, that's the opposite of that. You literally thought you were saving people. Now, it doesn't matter if you were or you weren't, that's what you thought,
0: yeah. So I kept like diaries and notebooks and stuff, like throughout a few weeks leading up to it. And I had I took myself up to the train station and I knew the train t- timetable. Here we are. This is this is what we're gonna do. So I, I wrote in my diary and there was a train coming. So we got to the edge of the platform. The voices that we're hearing were really, really loud. So mm. as I was, I don't know, a second away. Wow. From being hit by this train, I just took a step backwards, and the train went by.
1: Wait, so this is a kind of train where there aren't—you wouldn't dip down. It was like a level ground, so you could just step back.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Wow, Um, you were really close, and you don't survive that.
0: It wasn't a slow train. It wasn't like a. It was a, a passing through train. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're going to die. There's no way around that.
0: That was going to be it. So I was like, right, okay, we've got 12 minutes for the next train. We gather myself try and quiet these voices that I was it was really hard to separate from. and then all of a sudden I looked up and there was these people dressed in bright orange um like walking towards me I was like, I couldn't tell if it was reality or a hallucination but something felt weird about it something felt off and I realized that it was reality like they were there. there was like 12 people dressed head to toe in bright fluorescent orange. We have in the UK um, network rail and they do work on the railway lines and they dress in white orange. Transpires that the train driver had called to say that he thought he'd hit somebody and they were sent to check that out. found me and they called the police and the police came and they stopped all the trains and as soon as I heard the sirens I ran off up this really muddy hill that's in our village. And they ran after me. They were much faster than I was. And it was like a rough and tumble. And they arrested me and marched me back down to police cars.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you getting arrested for?
0: I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what I was doing. They were shouting. Um, I was crying and shouting. and It was really horrible. Like, beyond horrible. It was very dramatic. Uh, And then more police cars arrived, and they had like a body cam on, and they put me in the back of the police car. I live in quite a small village, and this attracted a lot of attention.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Like people coming out of their houses, people stopping their cars, having a look around. People on dog walks just decided to stop and have a nosy. Um, I've got kids at primary school, um, so they were like other parents that knew me and it was horrible and I was screaming at them and then some other police arrived and this really really lovely female police officer was like hey it's okay let's go and talk let's let's move away from these people and let's go and talk it all calmed down while I was talking to her and I was like well I've got a psychiatrist they'd taken all my notebooks off me that the police had so they were reading through them and it was really not private but it made me feel really vulnerable, you know, like all my thoughts that I had ever were written in that journal.
1: Mm.
0: You know, to have someone reading that had just been really physical, you know, like they tackled me to the ground.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm five foot one. I weighed about £90 at that time. I was, I was little. I was a teeny, teeny, tiny little person. And these two great big police officers like, tackled me to the ground.
1: It's like a blueprint on not, how not to handle not, that kind of situation.
0: Fund. Um, so it turns out they were from the British Transport Police. And they're just very like, hands on, <laughs> police.
1: Well, they got it wrong. They I don't give a shit them. what they are.
0: So they took me to a, a 136 holding cell which is like a police section for mental health. Mm-hmm. And they could keep me for like 48 hours, I think it was. So I was covered head to toe in mud still. Didn't have any change to clothes. Didn't have a shower. Didn't have any clue where I was in the country or who, where, who I was with or what I was there for. The thing was like really communicated to me. And on assessment, they sent me hundreds of miles away from home Um, to an inpatient hospital which again was handled really poorly they sent in six men that were like six foot six 300 pounds and I had like one in front of me and one behind me and then two each side of me Mm. into a van and off like driving for like four hours up the country and England isn't that big (laughs) if anyone doesn't know how big England is we're quite small four hour drive quite a long way
1: now, it's a, so did you get diagnosed ultimately with something else? Because I thought that kind of psychosis, what, what what is that?
0: So they didn't diagnose me with anything else. They had tried in the months leading up to this big event, uh, lots of new medications. Um, wow. Because I was like up and down and up and down. It was like, we need to try you on lithium and we need to try you on, I can't remember, I have piprazole, and you can have these injections and this medication and this sleep tablet. You know, uppers and downers and leveler outers. Personally, I think it was a medication
1: that did the, that was the problem. Yeah, no, it's possible. Sure, of course.
0: I know doctors like to go. It's because of your bipolar. Um, but today, I am med free. Over the last few years, I've been better than I've ever been.
1: Now, I had- hang on, hang on. I gotta, I gotta just say. You did say in March you tried to end your life. So can we just hang on, hang on? <laughs> now, I'm not pushing back. I'm glad to hear things are going well. But you're obviously in that time still having some, or whatever we want to call them, blips or hiccups.
0: Yeah. My attempt this year was caused by a traumatic event. I spent a few days in intensive care. Whilst that is a suicide attempt, and I'm never going to say it wasn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That isn't related to the last 30 years right. of my life, that was like a very specific circumstances.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Now you you are in a position in your life with the work you do in which you're supporting a lot of people, it sounds like, or trying to anyway. Mm. Um, do you have people in your life that you can talk to? Because I know some people in the village know, but there might be others.
0: Yeah. So all my friends know. Um, I have like a team of professionals who know. That's, um, not quite, like,
1: that's not quite what I asked.
0: You just sent out to. Um, do I talk to them much? You know, there's a limit on what you can put on somebody, isn't there? So I have a couple of really, really close friends that I will speak to about anything and everything. But, you know, after a couple of weeks, I kind of go, oh, I should probably be mm-hmm. less of a Debbie Downer now.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes
0: sense. I think it's my work as well. You know, I have to be Mrs composed and well-being and self-care and look after yourself and do some grounding techniques and
1: do any of your clients or patients or whatever they're referred to know about your stuff? No. No.
0: No. My colleagues do.
1: I mean they might now.
0: Well yeah, they might now. <laughs> That's out of the
1: bag, Jody.
0: I, I, I well-
1: we don't have that many listeners, but it's possible one of them tunes in on that day
0: possible It's
1: and they do stay in for why we're gonna put this shit out i feel like you're you're good with that
0: absolutely i'm not a secret keeper and i'm not ashamed of any of it i wish that more more people would just talk you know and everyone everyone knows that someone someone in their life has had an attempt or had thoughts of an attempt or has been close to having think, thoughts of an attempt. You know, there's everyone knows somebody. Everybody.
1: Yeah, probably I so. Refuse,
0: I refuse to believe otherwise. Um, You know, what is it? I don't know what it, the stats are worldwide, but in the UK, I think it's like one in four people experience mental health problems.
1: I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know how you even really gauge that and create that, find that number, but it's a lot.
0: It's It's, it's a lot. I refuse to believe yeah. that nobody knows nobody that, hasn't experienced something.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, some people would also say there's a large number of people who try to take their lives who don't, are not mentally ill, don't really have a mental health. Now, you could push back on that and some do, but, you know, it's it's tricky.
0: It is tricky. And, you know, if we go back to like March, I had a suicide attempt and it was circumstantial, you know, like I had a traumatic event and I reacted. And I ended up trying to take my life Yes Again, would I have done that If I didn't have a label on my file? Who knows?
1: Right uh, You know, I, so, and there will be people And I'm not one of them Who would say, by definition Regardless of the reason Underlying circumstances You attempting is almost proof That you have some sort of mental health challenge And I'm not sure I agree with that But
0: I think if we looked at any person, anywhere, we could diagnose them with something.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think people who are, yeah, there's just a lot of people that have, they can insulate themselves. For example, you know, having a lot of money, you can insulate yourself. The net is much bigger and the care is different and you can get away with it and skate for a longer period. Yeah. I hmm. think
0: that's been a major factor for me personally. So, you know, if we look back, homeless, no job. No money, no anything. I didn't cope for a very, very long period of time. And now, you know, I'm a home homeowner. My husband's working, I'm working, bobbing along okay. And the care I receive is so much better. And mm. you know, we have NHS, everything's everything's free, we we'll pay for taxes, but essentially it's the same for everybody, but yet I still get better care.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's because I come across better educated mm-hmm. and from this Family home, I can't help but think that that is why people listen more.
1: You're white, that might help.
0: Yeah, white, female, middle class, probably now. Um, yeah, I live we in think the... of,
1: we, we think of class a little differently in the States, but yes, I got it. Oh,
0: okay. How does that
1: well, It seems like, well, you said now, so you there's some movement. Historically yeah. in, in, in England, the movement between classes was rather limited, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the States, the narrative, I don't know if it's accurate, was, you know, you can do anything you want. You could literally become upper class and now old school money would still scoff at you, but nonetheless, it's possible. But I think it's that way in England, right? To some degree.
0: Yeah, you can, you can move up. So I, I was, I was work, like, working class, I was benefits and homeless and all of those things that made you.
1: Working class.
0: Yeah. Or well, I working class. And your status in society definitely has a swing in what help you receive and how forthcoming other people are.
1: Pretty crazy, isn't it?
0: In saying that, though, I think if I'd had had that episode at train station, back where I grew up, back with those associates that I had, Mm. I think more people would talk about it. I think more people would be going, Jodie did this. How does Jodie feel now? How did that make you feel that Jodie did this? Yeah, those conversations flow easier.
1: And so, what you're saying when you're working class, they don't flow as openly or at all.
0: No, it flows better. Yeah, I think those conversations flow easier
1: when you're poor. Yeah. Interesting. All right.
0: Between okay. between your group of people, at least.
1: I, I kind of can understand that, and it makes sense. And I actually am partial to the working class people. I think they're generally nicer. Just saying. You didn't ask there me are. that. I just want I, I to volunteer that.
0: I absolutely agree. You know, I live in a village that's very community based. And it's very, it can be very superficial. Right. I love the village I live in. But how are you doesn't mean how are you? Sure. Where, I, where I've lived previously, my working class associates, how are you means how are you? Mm. They want to know. They want to talk. Yeah. I don't think people have enough time for that in more conservative areas.
1: I feel like you're being careful with your words here.
0: Politics. <laughs> um,
1: Too late for yeah. that shit, Jodie. Too late. I know. Uh, Jodie's 34, married with two children. Is that right? I am. And one dog. Up two dogs. Two children, two dogs, one husband, one home, a job in the Midlands, uh, multiple suicide attempt survivor. Uh, is about to be 35, and you know what I'm wondering, perhaps if you've heard the podcast, there's always this question that comes up, often unanswerable, but nonetheless, what are the odds? How do I want to frame this? Are you going to make it to 40? Let's, let's do that one. 40 years old.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Okay.
0: I hope I'll hope live your life. I have no plans. I have no desire to die before them. hmm I think I keep suicide as a backup option.
1: Plan B or plan C at this point? What are we talking about?
0: Plan C. Hmm. You no, know, if if things start to fall apart, I've got, I've got like a written plan that is of bollocks, but it's there. <laughs> it's you call this person and you do this. And I've been to the primary before. I can go back again if I need to. Failing that, plan C.
1: Right. Are there any myths that you want to talk about or dispel?
0: i think thinking about suicide doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do or thinking about suicide isn't the end of the world i want to be able to tell somebody that i've been thinking about suicide without it scaring them i want to be going hey i keep thinking about going to this place and doing that without them going oh let's call the crazy police again you know You need to see your doctor today. No, I I have these thoughts all the time and I want to share it with someone so it doesn't feel as big. I have no plan to act on that. But these are the thoughts that I'm having. I think if it was easier to do that, you know, if it was more socially acceptable to go, hey, I've been thinking this way, then I don't know, would it save some lives maybe?
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah, which is the thinking. which is the great irony in that we rush to say, oh, my God, do this and that, because that's supposed to help them. And I'm sure sometimes it does. I say this all the time. And then look, I don't know if I'm right or if anyone cares. But what you just said is, to me, the greatest way to save people. Yeah, 100 percent.
0: Let people go. I've been thinking about suicide. Right. With, without it causing mass panic. Right. You no. Know?
1: Right, well, said, you do realize that your country and my country are playing in the World Cup tomorrow?
0: Yes, I do,
1: so I have this is a hard this was a hard conversation for me because I'm not supposed to like you right now.
0: <laughs> I know you
1: I know you're gonna beat us first of all.
0: do you think I don't know. Have you seen the previous games?
1: Yeah, you were very, very good, and we were mediocre. yes, <laughs> I saw the games
0: but some of other like the other matches, I can't remember who I saw the other day. Someone beat somebody else and it shouldn't have. Anyway. Yes, Saudi
1: Arabia and Argentina. Maybe. There we go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, that wasn't the score that it should have been. That's true. Yeah.
1: Though Saudis would disagree. They'd say that's the exact score it should have been. We scored two goals. You scored one. We win. Right. You know, I mean, that only happens probably one out of 20 games against the two teams, but they picked the right game.
0: But it worked.
1: How many people know that you're talking with me today?
0: Two people know that I'm talking with somebody today. Nobody mm-hmm. knows it is you.
1: <laughs> well, not so much me, but do they know what you're talking about?
0: I mentioned the topic of suicide um, oh, and left it at that. I had about 20 messages. We've got a group chat, and there's only three of us in this group chat, but they are, <laughs> these are my best, best friends in the whole entire world. They will send 20 messages in a row if you don't respond. Okay. ping ping, 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 ping. <laughs> um, so it was, this is what I'm doing tonight. Wish me look. And then it was, what are you doing? Who is it? When will it be on? Tell me more. Oh. What's going on? And I was like, no.
1: Oh, so you <laughs> think they'll they'll want to hear it?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: A formal hello to Jody's friends when you're hearing this. At some point in the future.
0: I'm definitely going to be around.
1: I know. We're going to make I'm you, you to- wait for a little bit. We're going to build the tension and you're going to be. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so that if i get that feeling that my time is up i've got to be like i need to for this podcast
1: <laughs> i feel like you'd be thinking about some other things but let me know of course i, I don't um, know <laughs> um what else would you like to share before we get back to our glorious lives
0: do you know what i think we've got pretty much everything covered you're great. i think I've, i feel so much lighter oh really yeah, just to go. This is everything that happened, and no one's listened to me. So here's all everything for everyone to listen to me. So put your AirPods in, and off
1: you go. Put your AirPods in. Go for a walk with the dogs, and listen to Jody's hour or so conversation with a bald man who happens now on this moment. Though by the time you're hearing this, it won't be the case. Is in Mexico. Um, do you, by the last question I have, have you kept and or do you read all of those journals that you used to keep? You got a big stack of them somewhere.
0: I've got um, a drawer full of them. This drawer's in a cupboard that's not very easy to get to. Um, so every time I clear the cupboard out, which it isn't as regular as it should be, but it tends to be a bit of a like a a crap cupboard, you know, like all your like spare hair dryer and coats and scarves and crap. Yeah, I will get them out and I will look at them sometimes. Not a lot of it is readable. There's a lot of words that like just scribbles and you know you can send yourself crazy just trying to understand what what it says. But yeah, some of it's quite hard hitting. Um there's some pages in there that I know were from like the day at the train station and you mm. know, like, I wrote about the men in orange and that the Men
1: in Orange is a great title for a book.
0: It is, isn't it? Maybe I should write it after.
1: Um, And and people know who hear this podcast that I have very few skills in life, but I am a good book title namer.
0: The Men in Orange. Men
1: in Orange is good. (laughs) And it's free. Take it, use it. You owe me no royalties. Just go.
0: (laughs) Maybe I could write a story about that. Mm. Call it Men in Orange. Because that was the, yeah, that's the thing that I take away from it the most was the Men in Bright Orange suits.
1: Now, before we go, you this entire time, Jody has had her very cute dog on her lap, and sometimes her dog has been very kind, like chilling out. Other times, a little rambunctious. But can you show me the dog? And if possible, I don't know how much command you have over this canine beauty, but can you have him? Is it a boy? It's a boy. Can you have him make a sound? So our audience prove to our audience there's a dog here. Can he bark or do something? Come on,
0: Grace. No, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing.
1: Bruce, he,
0: he was sick, but he won't
1: talk. Nothing. No. He's a quiet boy today, and you know what happens when we end this meeting, this call. Like uh, within barking. thirty seconds, he's going to start barking.
0: And start I had barking. to stop him from barking earlier, annoyingly.
1: Even My though handful. it might be a little annoying that he's licking you and all over you, it's kind of cute. <laughs> I mean, he's it's...
0: A handful. And then we have Reno.
1: Oh, the two of them are hanging out. Look at them; they're all over each other. Oh. wow so cute you know what I would imagine that's about the that's pretty good medicine right there
0: oh yeah it's great love them they're, they're a nightmare but they, they are great
1: <laughs> they're a nightmare but they're great
0: they're a nightmare but they're hello no no hello sorry
1: so cute all right well thank you for talking with me and sharing everything so openly
0: thank you for having me It's to have this face to
1: listen awesome Jody. have a good night and go go USA <laughs> As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Jody across the pond. Thank you, Jody in England. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And check the show notes. There's all kinds of information in there. Another way to reach out. Ways to support and sponsor us. Ways to join us as a member in the coming weeks. Ways you can learn more about our programs and presentations. So have a look if and when you can. And that is all for episode number 144. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.